0: Welcome to ID the Future, a podcast about intelligent design and evolution. Hello, I'm Tom Gilson, the man credited with bringing together the modern intelligent design movement, Berkeley Law Professor Philip Johnson, died this past weekend at his home in Berkeley, California. To mark his passing and commemorate his extraordinary contributions to the cause of truth, we are pleased to bring you a talk that scientist, philosopher, and author Stephen Meyer gave at a 2011 Discovery Institute event celebrating Dr. Johnson and the 20th anniversary of his seismic 1991 book, Darwin on Trial. I first met Phil in uh, 1987. I was a graduate student at Cambridge, and I had a friend named Mark Labberton, very good friend, who was known for his eyebrow cock. I can't do it, but if he uh, came across something that was a little bizarre or odd, his eyebrow would go up like this, as, to, as if to question it. So one day, I got a call from Mark, and he said, um, Steve, I got this quirky law professor friend from back home at Berkeley. He's brilliant, but he's gotten obsessed with evolution. (laughs) He knew what I was studying, and he asked if I would meet with him. He said, would you talk to him? So he arranged a lunch for us at the Arena Taverna, a little Greek restaurant right next to the Cavendish Laboratory on Free School Lane in Cambridge where Watson and Crick had done their work elucidating the structure of DNA. We sat down to lunch, and within about five minutes, Phil and I were jabbering away, and we were obviously on the same wavelength. And poor Mark Labberton's eyebrows started to rise (laughs) on as if to say, what have I done? (laughs) As time went on, Phil was indeed had gotten very absorbed with the question of Darwinian evolution. I heard his story. He had read the same day. It was like the Charles Wesley story. He had walked by a bookstore and seen Denton and Dawkins side by side and felt his mind strangely warmed. And he read the two books side by side and found that Denton was persuasive. And what Phil told me is that there was something about Dawkins' style of writing that made him think he had something to hide. He was bluffing. And, of course, Paul has talked about this the way Phil uncovered the hidden assumption, the assumption that all evidence must be interpreted through the lens of naturalism, that we had to assume that every event, even the origin of all the animals and the Cambrian explosion or the origin of man or the origin of life itself, we had to assume that every event had a purely naturalistic or materialistic cause. That was a governing assumption of science and therefore, no matter what the evidence was, it had to be fitted into that way of looking at the world. But if you ever once subjected that assumption to scrutiny, the evidence looked very different indeed. And that insight, I think, liberated many, many minds to consider an alternative way of looking at reality. And so that was a, one of Phil's intellectual virtues. But I'd like to just talk briefly about two other virtues of his that have made a big difference, I think, for many of us. The first one is his courage. I have often said that the overwhelming dynamic, the overweening dynamic of this debate is fear. There are many, many, many people who have come up to the water's edge who have seen the problems with Darwinian evolution and have counted the cost and recoiled. And this has happened so many times. I I was doing some filing yesterday, and in some ways it, it makes the heart sick. Brilliant scholars, scientists, who have made approaches to us, who have talked to us. Some have come over, but many have seen just how much this costs and have been afraid, and then will rationalize a different position later. Phil had the guts to take this on. In fact, I don't even think he was aware of it. I used to think of him as a kind of wrecking ball. <laughs> within a year of leaving England, I was still in grad school and he was already making waves. And we had him in science and, or scientific American and nature. One of the things that illustrates this best is that within a year of taking on this subject, he is at the Campion Center at Harvard University in closed session having a debate with Stephen Jay Gould in front of a select audience of uh, really elite American intellectuals. And by almost all accounts, it was a fabulous event. They drew each other's measure and it was judged to be a draw. And Phil walked away from that, not the least bit discouraged, for two reasons. One, he gave Gould a hug after it was over. And he noticed in the embrace that Gould was nervously shaking. (laughs) Secondly, he walked away and I remember this comment, he said, well, imagine just taking up golf and then a year later playing Jack Nicklaus to overtime. Uh, He said at that point he realized there was an upside in this. And part of the benefit of his fearlessness is that he attracted other people around him, people that needed to see that example to realize that there was an upside in this and that they too could make their contribution to this. And I remember Steve Ferguson coming up with this. We had a a small conference at Pahara Dunes in 1993. And that's where a number of us met for the first time. And it it was a kind of, uh, seminal— is not quite the right word. It was an aha moment for a lot of people. Because everyone had the sense that they were were harboring these doubts in isolation. And that maybe they really were crazy. And you got together. And there was Paul Nelson, a bright young guy, Doing his graduate work at University of Chicago, and Bill Dembski, and Jonathan Wells, and Mike Behe, and Doug Axe. And there were other people there, I think we can now reveal, who were in the Darwinian world. David Raup, leading paleontologist at the University of Chicago. He came because he admired Phil so much, and he also knew there were some big problems with the dominant view. And so you get a, this kind of a group together, and there's a, a sense of maybe I'm not crazy. And I, I remember asking Jonathan, well, why did you get into this? He said, well, I've been working in embryology. And I know, he said, this is where the whole theory is going to unravel. And I had just an hour earlier heard the same thing from Doug Axe, who was working in molecular biology, and somebody else who was working in paleontology. And, and so there was a sense that each of the subdisciplines of biology had these big problems, and everyone who was aware of them thought that they were confined to those subdisciplines. And what Phil did, because of his courageous willingness to take this on without all the the technical background, is he brought to himself a team of people who were willing to press the argument further with the technical details. And Steve Ferguson, soon after, he called them Phil's gunslingers, who saw that this guy had what it took to win the, the shootout at OK Corral, and there were all these young Turks that wanted in on the action just so they could fire their pop guns, too. <laughs> so it was a, a great image. We later decided that wasn't the best way to present the ID movement as gunslingers, but nevertheless, it was Phil's courage that brought these people together. And then the other thing I would like to just give tribute to is is his wisdom. On any number of occasions, I have called him for advice about very challenging, ticklish, sensitive matters. He's a terrific advisor. He has one of the great intellectual virtues, often known as prudence. There's so many things we could thank Phil for, but his courage, his prudence, his intellectual insight, and, of course, finally, his friendship. As a part of the celebration of Darwin on Trial and its tremendous impact on science and the intelligent design movement, we hope you will explore DarwinOnTrial.com. This has been a podcast of the Discovery Institute's Center for Science and Culture, copyright 2011, Discovery Institute. For more information, please visit discovery.org forward slash CSC.